Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Hey there, what's up? How you doing, folks? Welcome to another installment of the Chat with Traders podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Fifield, and thank you very much for tuning in. I've got an awesome guest lined up for you. His name is Mr. John Carter from Austin, Texas. In short, John is an options trader and also futures trader to a slightly lesser extent. He's been trading for around about 25 years now. His typical holding time for any given trade is just a couple of days. And he classifies himself as an aggressive trader, which I think you'll pick up on that pretty quickly also. In this interview, you'll hear I ask John about the multiple boom and bust cycles he endured over the space of about eight years before gaining any real consistency. I also ask, is a high risk tolerance essential for becoming a successful trader? So you'll get John's take on that as well. Then we get into some talk about options and John has some really great advice for those who are still trying to find their feet. Additionally, we talk about indicators and technical analysis and we go step by step through John's million dollar Tesla trade. So there's a lot packed into this episode. I hope you enjoy it. But more than that, I hope you can take at least just one thing away from this and apply it to your own trading. Okay, let's get to it. Here is my interview with John Carter. Okay, and we're rolling. John, it's good to be speaking with you, buddy. How are you doing? Good, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's, it's a pleasure, and I uh, hope you're up bright and early out there in, uh, in Australia. It's evening time over here, so I, I, I can probably have a beer and you can't at this time. But <laughs> Always, always up nice and early. So thank you very much for being here, John. I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this. I'm sure you have a a very busy schedule on your hands, but I'm glad you could you could fit this in. So as we're recording this, um, we're just about to close out the first quarter for 2016. I'd like to ask, how has trading been for you this year so far? You know, it's it's been really good. I'll I'll tell you specifically about the account that I like to use. Um, I I uh, which is rare. I was 100% flat as of December 31st. I just didn't understand the markets and. And I was a little upset at myself because I, as a trader, I love the short side. And so I wake up the first trading day of the year and the markets are just getting hammered. 
And when they're getting hammered, it's hard to get in. And so the first week, I literally just watched the markets collapse. And it, it was a little painful. I mean, I on the one hand, I, at least I wasn't long. But on the other hand, as a trader, you know, you don't like missing moves like that. And so it took me a little while to get into a groove. And I would say that then, then when I started trading, it was a little hit or miss. Um, and then as so, so the account that I use, we I have this. Uh, I start every year back at about one hundred and eighty thousand dollars, and it's my model account. This is the one that everybody in our trading room can see. And I'm very, I'm pretty transparent. It's just like, hey, I'm these are my winning trades, these are my losing trades. I show my PL. So as of today's close, that $185,000 accounts at $307,000. So I think that's up about 60 some odd percent. Uh, I mean, I'm a very aggressive trader, but the goal, you know, the goal is, and this has been mostly options trades with some futures trades, but the my goal with this account is to turn it into a million dollars by the end of the year. So I'm either going to do great or I'm going to fall flat on my face and then everybody gets to watch me. <laughs> okay, well, it sounds like you're off to a good start. That's for sure. That's uh, You're doing really well, so props to you. Um, now, you, you said something really interesting right at the start there about how you know the market sort of took off um, and you were upset that you weren't in it. Like, How do you deal with that? Do you just realize that you've potentially missed the move and you just you know that you have to sit on your hands now or do you jump into it with a smaller position size like how do you manage um those sorts of situations because i know it can be very frustrating um when you see a move which you were kind of anticipating but it just takes off without you and you're not on it how do you deal with that you know it's it's one of those things you would think and i and i've been trading i would say actively now for gosh 20 almost 25 years which isn't crazy because it seems like it was just yesterday but with experience comes comes patience and that was one of my mentors and i it never it didn't sink in when they were when they taught me this one of my mentors after about 6 years of trading uh sat me down and said look here's the this guy had been trading for like 30 years he said, look, the difference between traders who um, can do this for a living and those who can't is patience. Patience to wait for the right opportunity, you know, patience to sit in a winning trade. And he's like, otherwise, you know, it's, it's, it's game over. And I didn't appreciate that at the time. But what I've learned, and also my father who kind of got me into trading, um, you know, every once in a while, I remember when I first started, I'd say, oh, God, I can't believe I missed this move. And he just laughed. It's like, look, I promise you the markets are going to be open tomorrow and there's going to be another opportunity. And so what happened was I sat there for a week doing nothing. And it was so painful because at least the U.S. markets, I mean, the Dow was down 300 points a day. And, you know, had I been positioned correctly, I just could have made a lot of money. And it's frustrating. But what I've learned in doing this over time is that when you get emotional and you chase, um, you just you get yourself in a mindset where you actually miss what's really going on and you get yourself in a mindset that when a real opportunity comes along, you're just not ready because you're, you know, you're chasing, you're emotionally vested in something that, you know, it wasn't really a setup. You just had to, you just felt like you were being left out. And that's just something that comes with experience. I mean, at some point you can kind of snap your fingers and say, okay, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to chase stuff anymore. But after a while, what happens is you just learn the opportunity cost of doing that, you know, first of all, you're usually getting, you know, the last one to get in. And then secondly, your brain's all messed up because, you know, you're, it's a purely emotional trade and emotional trades just, just over the long, over the long run, just aren't consistent. 
So, and that, that's just, that's what I've, how I've learned to kind of deal with it. Sure, sure. Okay. No, I think you answered that really well. There's a lot of really great insight in that answer. We're off to a good start. So I'd like to ask you, um, you've already kind of mentioned that there's some market blood that runs in the family. Tell us about how you actually first got into trading. So when I was 18, I, uh, I was working at a mall at a cookie store, which was a thankless job. You made like $4 an hour and uh, making cookie dough and then selling cookies to kids that came up, you know, with their moms at the mall. And over the course of a summer, I'd saved up about $1,000. And I came home towards the end of the summer. It was a Sunday night. My dad and his friends, they're sitting around the table. They got copies of Investor's Business Daily. And as I'm walking by, I just hear someone say, well, you know, gosh, I could, you know, I'd probably make $1,000 on that trade. And, uh, you know, and that, and in my mind, I'm going like, well, I've got $1,000 in my bank account now. So what do you, so I just kind of asked, what are you guys talking about? So the short version is I have no, I had no idea what they were talking about, but they were going to buy some call options on Intel that week. And I didn't know what Intel was. I didn't know what a call option was, but I said, look, I'm 18. I got nothing to lose. I was like, can I open an account and do this trade? And they're like, well, you're not going to have time to open an account and fill out all the paperwork, but we'll spot you. You know, give us the thousand dollars. I'll buy ten contracts for you, and if it loses money, you're SOL. You know, shit out of luck. If you are, uh, but if it makes money, we'll give it to you. Like done. So long. So what happened was is that these options that they bought at a dollar, they sold it at a dollar eighty. So I had worked for three months. Eight hours a day, five days a week to make a thousand dollars, and now in the course of five days doing absolutely nothing, I made eight hundred dollars. And at that point, I was hooked. And it was, uh, it I just kind of realized how the power of having your own money work for you instead of you know doing physical physical labor. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with physical labor; it's good to get out and work. But it was just you know, we're, we're, we're worth so much more than what somebody's willing to pay us per hour is really what it came down to. No doubt. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of traders realize and what's got them, you know, pursuing this. So, yeah, no, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Now, in past interviews, I've heard you talk about when you did start getting into trading, you went through um, several boom and bust cycles. I'd love to ask you, like, what did those boom and bust cycles actually look like? So I, I've always been a pretty decent risk taker uh, for whatever reason. I mean, I think everybody's just wired, you know, you kinda, you're kind of born with inherit, inherit things. And when I started trading, I was, I, could, I was very good at making a lot of money and then I would lose it. So there was three times over the course of my college and my working career where I'd have, say, $10,000. And then over the course of about of a year, I would run it up to like $100,000. And I was taking crazy risks in terms of position sizing. You know, it's like, wow, I like this. So I'm just going to put my entire account into this trade. And if it worked, it, great. And if it didn't work, you know, I wouldn't, I, you know, I would, I, so what would typically happen is I'd have $10,000, it would jump to 20, drop back to 13, you know, jump up at 27, drop back to, you know, 18. 
But when I, what would happen is when I'd get to about $110,000, $120,000, I would step back and go, wow, I just went from ten to like a hundred. So now I'm going to go from a hundred to like a million. And what happened was, and I did not, it just took me forever to figure this out. But what I finally figured out is that I started focusing on the million dollars. Before I was just trading, I didn't have a goal. I was just like, here's a trade, let's take it. I want to make some money. But when I started focusing on, I'm going to make a million dollars, I changed my trading approach. And what would happen is if I had a losing trade, whereas before I would just get out, I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't working, get, get me out of this. What happened is that I would say, gosh, I'm trying to make a million dollars, so I can't take this loss. You know, I've got to at least get out of break even. So I started doing stupid things. And so that happened to me three times where I would, you know, make this money, blow it up. Um, and, and, and after the third time, I really just, I went through kind of a, you know, a very kind of a gut wrenching learning cycle and kind of, you know, conversation with myself going like, do I want to keep putting myself through this? And at the time I was just about to get married. It's like, if I'm going to get married and have kids, am I going to put my family through this? And I just had to come to terms with what, it was, you know, what was it that I was doing? And, so that's what I kind of figured out. I mean, I, I ran across uh, Mark Douglas's book, The Disciplined Trader at that point, and then Trading in the Zone. That helped a lot. Talked to some traders, you know, and then I just said, all right, if I'm going to do this, let's act like a professional. You know, don't, you know, don't try to quote unquote, you know, make a million dollars and, um, you know, let's do this. And, and, and that, that changed things. It, it didn't mean that I never had obviously losing trades or drawdowns, but I never blew up an account after that. Okay, sure. So a couple of things I'd like to ask you um, just to bounce off your response there. You obviously by nature have quite a big appetite for, for risk. You're very comfortable um, in many ways taking large amounts of risk. Do you think that's a necessary trait to be a successful trader? So there's a, there's a fine line. You can, be, you can take too much risk, but I think I, I don't know what is worse if it's, you know, if you have an appetite for too much risk or if you're too conservative. And I've seen both. And, and obviously, too much risk opens up the door of you're going to make a lot of money and then you're just going to blow up. I mean, that's, that's, that's the too much risk scenario. If you, if you have too much fear, though, I mean, the good news is with too much fear, you're not going to lose a lot, but you're not going to make a living as a trader either. And I think that's one of the things that you know, people kind of confuse is that let's say, you know, you've got whatever amount of money that you have to trade with, um, $50,000, $10,000, you know, whatever it is. But I think one of the goals of a lot of people, and this was certainly my goal for a while was, okay, I'm working at this job, I'm getting this check. And, and when I was working in the corporate world, at one point I was making around right up at around a hundred thousand dollars a year. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to quit my job, I need to make, you know, $8,500 a month trading. And what happens is that if you're too, too aggressive in that situation, you're, you're making your accounts, making swings that does, that don't make sense with your goals. But if you're too fearful, you're going to, you know, not make nearly enough money to meet your goals. The biggest problem with being too fearful is that you wait as a trader, you wait, for confirmation. And the problem with waiting for confirmation and trading is that by the time something is confirmed and all the indicators are aligned that this is a buy signal, 
that's usually the time that it's, you should be taking profits. Like, you know, the, everybody's looking at the same charts. And if everybody thinks that something looks good and everybody's long, no one's left to buy. And at that point, it rolls over. And so that's why sometimes it feels like, you know, if you're in a pattern where you're buying something and as soon as you buy something, it goes down. Well, usually it's because there's 27 indicators that someone's been watching and now they're finally all lined up. So you feel quote unquote safe to take the, you know, to take the trade. But you know, at that point, it's like now it's so obvious that everybody's getting out. Right. Okay. And we might get into that a little bit more um, in just a bit. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you was uh, you mentioned Mark Douglas's book uh, Trading in the Zone. I've heard you speak about this in the past. Also, um, what was it about this book that was such a huge help in, in getting you to the point where you could achieve consistency, like? What was it about this book that really clicked with you? The one of the things, and so, and when I first read the books, I, I didn't know Mark. I eventually got to know him, and we became friends. And he he recently passed in August, which was I you know was a complete surprise. But his his knowledge of the a the markets and b the human mind, and then c how the two interacted, is unparalleled. And I just anybody anybody who's uh, uh, making their own trade decisions, i.e. They're, you know, they're not just turning it over to a computer. Anyone who's making their own trade decisions without having read Mark Douglas's books is at a disadvantage because he, he kind of just, he's just learned and he's got an intuitive sense of how the markets like prey on people. And it does. I mean, it sucks people in at the wrong time. Um, you know, it's just all these weird things. And it's just, you just learn that the, the main thing that you learn from from reading Mark's books is that to trade successfully, you've got to understand what your mind should be thinking while you're in a trade. And how your mind should be thinking while you're in a trade is about probabilities. And you need to have a probabilistic mindset, meaning that, hey, you know what? Anything can happen. Just because I'm long doesn't mean the stock's going to go up. Anything can happen. And if you realize that anything can happen, then you kind of get a little bit more relaxed. You focus more on risk. You know, you don't take small profits because if anything could happen, it could, you know, it could turn into a big winner. And when I got my arms wrapped around that, I mean, my trading just changed. You know, it was one of those like, wow, my winners are bigger now and my losses are smaller. This is amazing. Okay. So just so we can put this into perspective. So from the point where you you know, got started, you came into trade and you went through these boom and bust cycles three times over um, until the point where you achieved some sort of consistency. How long was that time frame? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, okay, so I traded, I, I would say that my learning curve for trading was probably longer than most people's. And, and the reason for that is because I stuck with it longer than I should have. A lot of people I know, they try trading for like, you know, two years, it doesn't work and they give up. So, and I'll, and I'll back up here a little bit. And there's a reason, the reason I was able to last longer, I guess, is that, you know, when I had those three boom and bust cycles and I would take 10,000 and turn it into like 130,000 and then think like, okay, I'm going to make a million. The one smart thing I would do is that I would say, all right, I'm going to take 30,000 out. I'm going to put it into real estate. I'm going to put down payments on, you know, two houses and I'm going to rent them out. And so what happened is that there's two things, there's two things that happen there. 
one, by the time I busted my third account, you know, I actually had some real estate. So when I finally was like, I'm going to take this for real, I could sell that real estate, you know, and raise another stake. So that was semi-important. But, you know, the idea that you can always get a stake. I mean, you can, if you have trading skills, you could trade somebody else's account. I mean, there's, you know, there's always ways to get a stake if you're determined. But the, the thing was, is that now I just went off on went off on a tangent, so I, I kind of forgot the question. So what was the question? <laughs> I was asking you about how long it took you from when you first started out um, up until the point where you achieved some form of consistency. Like how long was that time frame? Okay, so so at this point, when I finally read Mark Douglas's book and I went through all that, it, it was eight years, and it was. Um, you know, and I and I put my my fiance through hell. I mean, there was a couple of times where you know we were going to buy a house and couldn't buy the house because I blew up an account. I mean, that that kind of stuff. And and we're still married to this day and have kids, so you know she's a keeper. Um, but you know, part of my you know my mission. I mean, I love trading. At the end of the day, my life would be a lot easier if I just traded. But I don't think it needs to be. I don't think it needs to be eight years of frustration to learn how to trade. I think. It, I think it. You know, there, you got to put in the time. I mean, nobody's going to learn on day one. But you know, I like to compress the learning curve with other folks. For me, it took eight years. I think for the the average trader that has the right tools, it can be two years. And the reason I say that is that people have to figure out. You know, they have to see different market conditions. Um, and the one thing that's unknown is how people react. You know, if you've got um, money on the line and the market starts going against you or it gaps against you, how are you going to react? Are you going to freak out? Are you going to be deer in the headlights? Are you going to be able to calmly take action? And that's a little different for everyone. The sooner that you can get to the point where uh, that you, you, know, you just focus on probabilities and you let go of any emotional attachment to the outcome, the sooner you're going to be consistent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. All right, John, well, let's focus in now a little more on um, how you trade today. So how would you describe your method and your overall approach to markets? So the, the main thing with that is I... I I find I think it's good for every trader to find their sweet spot. So for some people, it's going to be you know there's this idea of you need to kind of match your trading to your personality. Now I am not a what I would call so to me there's four types of trading. There's scalping slash day trading. There's swing trading. There's position trading. There's investing. I'm my sweet spot is a swing trader. I I don't really have a lot of interest in buying you know watching a one minute chart buying something and then selling it, you know, three minutes later. Now, it seems like that that's safe and it does create a lot of adrenaline. What a lot of people don't realize is that you generate so much commissions that it's almost impossible to make money. You know, if you have a $20,000 account and you're day trading, it is very likely that you are spending $20,000 a year in commissions. So it's like you have to make 100% a year just to pay your broker. And when people just, they, you know, you just don't realize that until you start tracking it. So to me, the sweet spot, though, is, you know, within five minutes, that's not worth it. Uh, with, you know, over the course of three months, I think it's just hard to predict. But, you know, two days to two weeks, that's kind of my sweet spot. 
And so that's what I'm interested in. So I'm not looking at five-minute charts during the day. And by the way, one of the best things I ever did was just took my five-minute charts and just threw them away. Um, I look at 30-minute charts, um, you know, basically kind of hourly charts, then daily and weekly charts. And I'm just looking for setups that uh, I want to be in something. If I'm buying something on Tuesday, I'm like, I want to be, you know, the earliest I would sell it is Thursday unless I'm stopped out. And that to me is a nice sweet spot. You can get aggressive. You can catch nice little pops. uh, And the markets tend to do that. They tend to move in little pops and then consolidate. And so that's what I kind of look for. And that's that for me works really well. Okay. And what markets or, or products are you most actively trading? I, I cut my teeth on the stock index futures. So I like the stock indexes in the US. So the you know, S- E-mini S&Ps, E-mini NASDAQ. But I'm also a big options trader on individual stocks. So, and, and the two are very complementary. So you know, if I'm bullish on the ES, then great. What are the strongest stocks? You know, Tesla, Google, Amazon. Then I'll, you know, I could buy some call options on those. And so to me, it all, those all work together. Uh, I'm also big on correlations. You know, it's like, okay, if the yen futures are going higher, is that going to mean, you know, weakness for stocks and things like that? So I do like to, I, I, I do like to look at kind of those leverage instruments. And I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, and I watch the Australian dollar too. And, you know, the fact that, you know, when oil and gold were coming off and, um, you know, Australia, I, here's a funny story. In 2008, I actually flew out to Australia to give a talk. And I bought, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a big fan of buying, the country that you're going to buy the currency before you go there, just in case you need it. So I bought it about a month before I went, and I bought it when the ratio of Aussie dollar to to USD was one to one. And then by the time I got there in October of 2008, it had fallen in half. So that was my, you know, that was a really bad trade because I bought them for a dollar, and they were worth only half that by the time I got there. But um, that was, you know, the markets the world economies are all tied in together. And here's the thing is that you don't need to know that. You do not need to know that if the yen goes higher, stocks might go lower. All you have to do is have a handful of good setups. And the traders that I've learned, you know, that I've, that have mentored me and have been doing this for 30 plus years, they're, they all have like, oh, I've got three setups and I watch four markets and that's it. They don't care what's going on. You know, they don't watch the news. They're not looking for the latest tips. They just have their niche and they kind of, you know, grind it out and make some money. And, and I'm a big believer in that. I actually think the less information you have, the better you'll do because otherwise you just get distracted. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a great point you raise. Um, now, something you said a little earlier about, you know, traders might see some sort of consistency after putting in two years of good work. And the reason for that was because they, over that time, they'll experience different market conditions um, and, you know, will go through different regimes. How did your trading change depending on what type of market we're going through at the time? That, that's a good question because I, one of the things that it took me a long time to learn is that you don't do the same trades all the time. You know, is it a bullish market? Is it a bearish market? Um, and so, so what I, I, I think the art of trading has come down to a couple things. One of them is knowing that there are three positions that you can have. You can be long, you can be short, or you can be flat. And the longer I do this, the more I realize 
that flat is one of the best positions because when you're flat, your mind is neutral. You're not um, – there's, there's a saying that I heard by a friend of mine, a trader in London, and he said – he's like, you know, don't piddle away your chips, which is like you know, in the U.S. we'd say don't piss away your capital. And if there's nothing to do and you're bored, just go do something else. Wait. Be patient. And right now the markets are kind of interesting because we had this you know, super bearish sentiment in January. And then in February, all the, signal, all the signals that I've gotten have been long, but my brain was screaming to be short, which was interesting. And, so I, and I've learned to just trust the signals. Like, hey, this is a bullish signal. Buy it. And the, the main thing that I've learned is that you know, there's no, first of all, no, no trading day is alike, but there are kind of cycles. And if it's a bullish cycle, great. Uh, if you're in at the beginning of the bullish cycle and you've got some, you know, some signals that are going, that are going in there, you know, load the boat and ride it out. But like right now we've had this fantastic rally since the beginning of February to now, this is not the time to load the boat on longs, but it's not the time to load the boat on shorts either because there's no short signals. I'm playing it pretty light. I'm just kind of in hurry up and wait mode. And what I've found is in trading is that if you can be patient over the course of a trading year, there's going to be one or two days a month where if you're focused and you are, you know, you've got a neutral state of mind, you can dive in, have a very, have a larger than normal position and make a killing and then get out and go flat again. And that's really what it's all about. As a trader, it's hard to do that because you think you should always be trading. But what I found is that for people who get bored and they trade to alleviate their boredom, they just piss away their capital so that by the time a big trading opportunity comes along, they're, they're just kind of getting back to where they were. And I, and I think that's one of the toughest things to do, but it's one of the most important things to do is just if, you, if you're looking at the markets and there's nothing to do, don't do anything. We all, you, know, you get to the point where it's like if you look back on your trades and say, wow, God, that trade worked out really well, go back and look at it. You know, what came together? Wait for that to, to happen again. You know, go for a larger than average position. Otherwise, stop. You know, don't, don't. Don't piss away your capital. And I just, that, I think it's just something you just don't know at the beginning, but over time you learn and it's just a huge lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just going to the other end of the trade, um, what's your thought process for deciding when or where uh, to get out of a trade? Like, how do you form an exit plan? You know, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, here at the end of the day, entries are a dime a dozen. If, to become a good trader, you've got to become a master of exits. And that means, of course, stop losses, but also, um, you know, targets. And you have to, you have to have an idea of what, and, and this is actually kind of easy in the options world because options are priced with what's called an expected move. Um, but this also works with futures and stuff like that too. But what I mean by an expected move is that market makers actually study all this stuff and in options, implied volatility and all this kind of stuff, you can say, oh, wow, okay, the option makers. So Netflix is a $100 stock and the market makers have priced in an $8 move over the next two weeks. Well, guess what? If you've got Netflix as a stock or if you bought options on it and it's up $8 from your entry, 
And that's what the move that was expected by the market makers get out. I mean, it, the odds of it going much higher than that are not very high. The other thing I'm a huge fan of is Fibonacci extensions. So whether it's a five-minute chart or a 30-minute chart or a daily chart or whatever, you know, if a stock makes a new swing high and it gets up to the 1272 extension of that move, you know, from that from the from the swing low, at, at that point, I mean, that's 90 or 90% of the time you're going to hit that target, but the odds of it going much past that are low. So, you know, maybe 50% that you'll get to the 1618 extension. So, you want to know where the low-hanging fruit is. And I'm I love the idea of like, wow, here's a great setup. Uh, you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. Tr I'm gonna get ten contracts. Okay, let's let's say it's futures. I'm gonna get ten S and P futures contracts, and if we get to the one two seven two extension, I'm gonna sell seven of them. Like, let's take the bulk of the risk off the table here, and then if we get to the one six one eight, great. But I'm gonna move my stop to break even here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get aggressive about taking off a large part of my position at those low hanging fruit targets. And I'm not gonna hope that the thing's just gonna keep moving in my favor forever. Okay, I like that, the low-hanging fruit, very good. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's, let's talk a little more about options now that you, you bring it up. So, you know, I know options are one of your main focuses right now. But, you know, over your 20 years, you, I believe you've traded pretty much every market at some point during your career. What is it about options that you find really attractive? So for options, so options versus futures, uh, futures, it, it is, you know, if I look at something like, say, gold, like, okay, I'm bullish on gold, what I do, do I go out and buy some gold futures or do I buy call options on a stock like, or ETF like GLD, which mimics gold? Here's the thing. It is harder to hold on to a futures contract. Uh, futures move all the time and they could blow through your stops. I mean, you know, futures aren't some gold futures aren't that liquid. What I like about options is that there's two things. One, in this example, I could say, like, you know what? I'm willing to risk $5,000 on this. So I could buy some gold call options, $5,000 worth, 60 days out, and just forget about it. 
Now, gold futures, I might get stopped out on that very easily, but with those gold with those gold options, um, you know, it could come down and something that would have stopped me out on the futures could turn around and rally strongly and I end up making a bunch of money on the options. And so what I like about the options is you can just say like, you know what, I just want to I just want to risk $5,000, I'm done. And the gold market could actually have huge fluctuations and you'd be fine. With gold futures, you don't have that luxury because gold, you know, if you get down to a certain point, you have to get out. It's like, oh, I'm down $5,000. So that's, if you haven't traded options before, that might not make sense. But with options, if you're long an option, it's, it's a fixed amount of risk. And then the other thing is that options are depreciating assets, which are kind of fun, meaning that, so let's, uh, you know, a popular stock in, in the U.S. markets is Apple. So if Apple's at $105, you could buy a $120 call option for like a dollar. And you're making this bet that like, wow, Apple's this amazing stock and it's going to rally up to 120 Well, it's probably not. So you can actually take the opposite side of that trade and just sell it. You sell it for a dollar. It expires worthless and then you keep all the money. So with options, there's a lot of fun things you can do in terms of selling them keeping that money, you know, and that's kind of, you know, you're taking the opposite side of other people who are like buying options that go to zero. So there's a lot of fun things you can do with options. Okay. Now listen to your interview on uh, the Option Alpha podcast uh, with Kirk Duplessis, um, who was actually on episode number two. Um, okay. Yeah, Kurt, yeah, that was, yeah, he's got a great site. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things you were speaking to him about is um, with options, you, you find that um, – They've helped you see more consistency in your results, kind of minimize the drawdowns, um, less volatility in your actual account. Um, did I understand that right? Is is that something relevant to to your choice of or your decision of trading options? Well, yeah, and it depends on your goals. If you are looking for a steadier equity curve, you know, meaning like you don't want the up and down, you know, the like all these crazy ups and crazy downs. You can structure trades in a way with options that makes it really consistent. Now, consistency also means you're limiting profit potential, okay? But that's not a bad thing for most people. Uh, you can sit there and say, you know, as an example that, you know, I could, okay, I could buy a call option on Tesla at eight bucks and it's either going to go to 16 or go to zero. Or you could sell, let's say, a put credit spread on Tesla that's out of the money and the odds of that going, you know, you're, you making a profit on that trade are like 90%. So that's, you know, you, everybody, the nice thing about options is that you can sit there and just say like, okay, just be honest with yourself. What, what, what kind of risk do you want to take? What kind of equity curve do you want? And when I mean that, I just mean that the job of a trader is to have an equity curve that goes from the lower left of the screen to the upper right, right? It's going higher. It's not about being right. It's about you know managing that equity curve. Now, I'm an aggressive trader, so my equity curve is going to have a little bit more zigzag in there. But some people don't like that. They don't want to sit there and go like, oh, God, I just had, a, you know, I just, I just had some losses here. They want it to be more consistent. And with, what's nice about options is that you can kind of construct your trades in such a way so that you know, you're never going to have any big blow-up surprises. But you're not going to have any upside, you know, upside excitement either. You're just steadily cranking out the money, 
And uh, and that's great. And I and I think that's a very great thing with options because you can structure your trades in in a way that just kind of matches your personality and your own trading goals. Which obviously at the end of the day, all this all that matters here is that everybody's able to meet you know figure out their trading goals and then find the right instrument to actually execute those trading goals. Mm-hmm. Okay. And another thing you mentioned on that podcast uh, was you used the term financing a trade. Now, I didn't quite understand this, but I, I think it was, it was somewhat interesting. Would you mind expanding on what you, what you mean when you're referring to financing a trade uh, using options? Sure. And there's a couple of ways to do it. So one way to do it is, and I'll, since we were talking about gold earlier, I'll use that again. But we could say like, okay, GLD, I think it's going to go higher you know, over the next three months. So I'm going to buy a call option three months out. Well, let's say it's at 120 bucks. Well, what I could do is even though my call option is three months out, I could sell the $125 options that are 30 days out against those. And in a perfect world, they expire worthless. Okay. And that's kind of like having a rental property. And that's called a, the trade is called a diagonal. So you buy something that's longer term and then you sell shorter term stuff against it. And if the stock moves up methodically you or down methodically, if it's a bearish play, you can do it in such a way that you, you end up selling enough options against it that it actually pays for itself, which is kind of fun. The other thing in that scenario is you can buy the options. So you could buy like, say, 10 call options and then sell um, you know, a 30 contract put credit spread that ends up expiring worthless and that could actually pay for the entire trade. So now you got a free trade. So the nice thing with options is that there, you know, there are things like that, that you can do Obviously, on anything like that, you know, it's like, okay, what's the risk here? But you know, the fun thing is, you can actually—it's called, fin- you know, financing a trade. And once it's financed, you can just kind of let it go and see see what it can do. Okay, so it sounds like something which is a, a little bit more advanced, um, but very interesting. Just before we move off the topic of options, is there any advice you'd like to give to? you know, novice options traders that would be really helpful? Um, maybe some advice that would have been helpful for you when you started getting into options. I, I'd say the first thing is that if you're, you know, if you're a novice and you're getting into options, usually what you're going to do is you're going to, if you think it's the stock's going to go higher, you're going to buy a call. If you think it's going to go lower, you're going to buy a put. I mean, that's just kind of the basics there. The mistake that most novice traders make is they look for cheap options. So if you're looking at a stock like, you know, let's use Apple as an example. It's $120, $100 stock. And you'll look at it and say, wow, you know, here's a $100 stock. The $95 calls are $7, but the $110 calls are only a dollar. So I'm going to buy the $110 calls because they're cheaper. And that's the biggest mistake you can make. Uh, essentially with options, those out-of-the-money options are designed to expire worthless. They're designed to suck people into them. So if you buy an in-the-money option, even though it's quote-unquote more expensive, you, all you got to think of it is this. Instead of buying Apple for $100, you're buying an option for $7. So you, for a much cheaper price than actually owning Apple, you're going to be able to participate in the price movement of Apple um, and do it that way. So I, I would just say, like, focus on in-the-money options. And if you graduate from that, uh, 
start considering spreads, you know, selling put credit spreads or call credit spreads. But you don't really need to go. I remember the first time I went to an option seminar and I started hearing about butterflies and all this kind of stuff. You really don't need to go down that road. You know, if you're bullish on something, buy an in the money call, sell a put credit spread, you're done. If you're bearish on something, buy an in the money put and sell a call credit spread, you're done. And that's all you need to do. Okay. And when you say you don't need to go down that road, are you talking about sort of in the early days or, I mean, is it, is it not necessary at any point? Like, is it, is that something you get into these days? No, I actually don't think it's necessary at any point. I mean, the thing about options that can get, you know, because there's so much math and, you know, they call it the Greeks, you know, Vega, Delta, Gamma. I mean, at least for the kind of trading that I do, uh, it's a distraction. And I know a lot of people get involved in that. And if you talk to market makers, you know, they think it's really important. But it depends on your style of trading. I mean, I look at a chart and I get an opinion based on a setup that this thing's going higher. Well, that's very simple. It's like if I think it's going to go higher, then I need to buy the right call. And then if I sell a put credit spread and it expires worthless, that's a win. What happens is that it's very – and I'm not knocking these strategies because I actually know traders who love this stuff where it's like, okay, um, the odds of it going here are X, so I'm going to – you know, I'm going to – buy a butterfly and do this diagonal around it and people really get into it. I just don't. And I don't think it's necessary. And I think that one of the things with options is don't be intimidated by all these crazy different things that you'll see because you don't need to do them. If you think something's going higher, buy an in the money call, that's all you need to do. I think it's a good idea to learn what a put credit spread means because that, that's a, you know, that's a benefit and then you're done. If you want to do more than that, that's fine, but you don't need to. Okay. Okay. Good advice. All right. Well, let's talk a little about technical analysis and indicators. So uh, starting with technical analysis, how do you use technical analysis in your trading? Like, is there anything key that you look for on a chart? Well, my main, my favorite setup is something called a squeeze. All that is, is that when the Bollinger Bands are trading inside the Keltner channels, it just means that the standard deviation of a stock or a market is now trading inside of its average true range. And, and you know, it may sound kind of complicated, but it's just kind of a, it's one of those things where if you think of it this way, you know, if, if an Olympic athlete has just ran a hundred yard dash, they're not going to go run a hundred yard dash immediately after that. They're going to rest. They're going to drink some Gatorade. You know, they're going to get ready for the next event. And it's the same thing with a stock. It's going to have a move. And then it's got to rest and relax and kind of get ready for the next one. What I found is that when the, when the Bollinger Bands contract to the point that they're trading inside of the Keltner channels, and by the way, these are all default settings are available on most platforms, that's, that's telling you like, hey, heads up, this is getting ready to go again. We've got an indicator that we, cr we created called the squeeze that kind of you know, you know, makes that a scannable kind of a feature. But that's my main thing. I, I feel very, very comfortable if I see a stock or a market. It's like, wow, this has a squeeze. This is about, you know, this is ready to do something. And, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's in an uptrend, this is saying like, wow, there's an 87% chance that this uptrend is going to continue. I can work with that and vice versa if it's in a downtrend. So I, I keep it fairly simple. There's a lot of other indicators I use, but I always start with that. Okay, okay. Do you have like a, a video or an article about um, where we can actually see that on a chart? Like do any visualizations that I could maybe link to in the show notes? 
Yeah, you know, we've got a couple. And if you want, uh, if you have some show notes or something like that, we can also, I can, we can send you a link that says, hey, here's a, here's a good example of that. Yeah, no, that'd be really cool. So um, yeah, I'll be sure to include that in the show notes. I think that'd be cool if people can actually um, visualize something like that. Um, they might want to check that out. Sure, sure. Now, don't mean to keep going back to uh, the interview with Option Alpha. Um, I'll also link to that in the show notes too. It was a good interview. One of the things you said which really um, struck me was that you don't look at a chart for more than a split second. I'd love it if you could share your reasoning for this uh, with the listeners. Yeah, this is another hard lesson I learned. So the good setups, they are, they are right there in front of your face. And if you're looking at a chart for more than a split second, it means that you're trying to force something onto that. I mean, literally the best setups in half a second, you're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know, everything's coming together. If it's not like that, then you're going to keep staring at it and you're going to like, you know, you're, you're going to try to force something into that that's not actually there. It's not a good setup. The best setups, you can identify them, you know, just like that. And if you can't, move on to the next chart. The toughest thing with that is somebody, you know, you read something in the news. Oh my gosh, Google, this amazing article came out. So you go look at the chart and the chart looks like crap. But you're like, eh, you know, in your mind, you're like, it should be bullish. So you keep looking at it and all these things and trying to force it into that. Well, your mind's going to see whatever, whatever it is. And, you know, if you have a concept in your mind of this stock is bullish, you are going to find something on that chart that says it's bullish, even though it has nothing to do with whatever you've looked at in the past. And that's going to, that's going to take some time to figure that out. If you, so the answer to that is like if you're looking at a chart and if in like a split second you don't see anything, it's you don't have anything. So just it's just the easiest way to do that. Okay. And do you think I mean, do you think that you can identify setups that quickly because you have you know twenty plus years of market experience and and years looking at charts, um, or is that something you would say that newer traders should also try to apply to their own trading? No, I, I think it's I think it's a little combination of both. What happens is after doing this for twenty plus years, you start learning the setups that give you the best results. So you know that's to be fair, it's like oh okay, gosh, anytime that happens, I'm definitely gonna you know take a position. Um, as a newer trader, what happens is I call it you know the, the there's a natural inclination to search for that holy grail and continue tweaking a chart, adding more indicators, you know all that kind of fun stuff. But what happens is that, you know, as a newer, as a newer trader is that there's this idea of, okay, I want to get long the stock. So you'll keep looking at the stock until you find a reason to go long. Even if it's the most bearish setup on the planet, you can find a reason to go long if you really want to. So the, what the moral of the story is, you know, have a setup that you like, keep it simple. And I've found that if you have a setup that you can't explain to a 12-year-old, it's too complicated. So, you know, keep it simple. And, and from there, because you don't, you don't actually need a lot of indicators. I mean, you really actually shouldn't have more than like three. So here's your price, here's three indicators, and you're done. If you've got more than that, you've got too many indicators on your chart. And, you know, identify that setup. If you end up using something like a squeeze, great, moving average crossover, it actually really doesn't matter just identify what the setup is and then track it. And the secret to that is whenever you find a setup, just do 25 trades in a row. And at the end of 25 trades, did you make money or lose money? 
because, you know, wins and losses, even on a 75% probability, are going to be randomly distributed. Just because you do four trades doesn't mean three of them are going to be winners. You might have four losers in a row. But at the end of a 25 trades, you're going to have a good sample set. And if you made money on that, you're going to have more confidence just to say, okay, every time I see that setup, I'm going to take a trade. And, you know, that's, that's what you do. And that's, that's where you get to the habit of, in a split second, it's like, oh, that's a setup. Great. I'm taking it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, that's a really great point that you highlight there, John. Um, now, you have mentioned indicators a few times. When do indicators serve a purpose and when are they unnecessary noise? So I know traders that only look at price action. And there, there are times when that makes sense when you're looking at price action and say trend lines. But at the end of the day, if you anytime you're looking at, you know, the most classic one I remember as a newer trader was okay, the market's rallying, but it's overbought because my stochastic is over 80. So I can't buy it. And the market goes up like forever after that. And and what happens is, is that that indicator, that overbought indicator becomes noise against the actual price action. So at the end of the day, it's the price action that matters. Indicators, all they are is a derivative in interpretation of price action. You know, it's not, there's no magic involved in indicators. It's just math. And you don't want to let the indicators get in the way of what's actually happening on the screen. So first, the first thing that's most important is price. And then you kind of look at like, okay, I've got a couple of indicators here, what's going on. But, um, you know, it's easy to get, it's easy to get lost in a bunch of different indicators when all that matters is that, you know, the market's either going up or it's going down and the price is the most important thing. The indicators are merely an interpretation of that. Okay. Okay. That's well said. I like that. Now, one of the things I'm really keen to ask you about, and anyone who follows you is probably aware that you banked about, I think it was about $1.4 million on a trade. Um, I'm not sure exactly when it was, um, but could you please share the story with us? Like walk us through it step by step. I think it would be really interesting. Sure. No, I, I remember that trade. I mean, it was like, uh, so I, I've had a couple of big trades before, but not in one day like that. So I remember, so it was either, gosh, so this was in January of 2014. And so that is, and um, it was either January 14th, 15th, or 16th. It was one of those days. But on that day, it, it was interesting as I remember on that day that I woke up and I had two trades that weren't doing well. And I got stopped out of both of them. And in that account, I was trading about, a, it was a million and a half dollar account. So it was, you know, it was a pretty decent size account. I'd lost like $100,000. I was like, all right, I'll, you know, that's not what I wanted. But, I, you know, I've been doing this all, a long time. So I'm like, all right. And as I'm sitting there and I'm now flat, I got stopped out of my positions. And I had noticed that earlier on the day, Tesla was down $10. And then I suddenly noticed that it was up $5. I'm like, what is going on? I mean, Tesla was down $10 and now it's up $5. So, you know, I check on Twitter and it's like Elon Musk said some kind of announcement. Like, I, I think it was an earnings or I don't even know what it was. And then I checked the short interest and I, I do like to track the short interest on a stock. And the reason is that is in, in Tesla was like 40% at the time is that if there's a lot of people who are short, typically over 20%, 
then if you get some kind of surprise announcement to the upside, they're forced to cover. Plus, there's going to be new buyers. You can generally get like these huge moves. So I'm looking at that going like, all right, Tesla was down 10. It's up five. I'm looking at the chart. There's no real resistance. And, and the prices were like, I think it was at uh, maybe 150 bucks at this point. And there's no resistance till like 170. So I buy 100 call options. And it continues to do well. And I'm buying them like at $6. So, you know, in, in a million and a half dollar account, that's, that's a small position. And I keep adding as it goes in my favor. And I get to the point where I have a thousand call options, which is, I mean, that's a pretty sizable position. I even bought a bunch of stock. And that was, it was interesting because at one point, there was one point that made the difference for me in that trade is that at one point I was up, so I'd lost $100,000 on that day. And at one point I was up about $300,000. I was like, okay, this is an amazing trade. I mean, I was excited. This is great. I've been doing this a long time. I would be completely happy taking the profit there. But I'm looking at this going like, I think this, this is not showing any signs of stopping. The volume is pouring into this. But obviously no stock goes up or down in a straight line. So it started pulling back and I'm watching my profit that was up $300,000, you know, over the course of like 10 minutes drops to like up $200,000. I'm like, ah, now we're at that moment in time of every trader is like, I don't want this to turn into a losing trade, but oh my God, I think I see a lot of potential here. So I stepped away from the computer and I took a shower and it was just like, I had to get away. I like, I stopped thinking objectively. So I went and took a shower and I came back um, you know, Tesla had gone a little bit lower than it stabilized. So I was back to where I was up like 300,000. It's like, okay, looks good. I was at home and I needed to get to the office and the office was about 20 minutes away. So I hopped in my car, started to drive and I got there. And by the time I got to the office, then I was up 600,000. So now it broke out again. And it started taking off and it just kind of rallied into the clothes and I sold half of the clothes. I held half overnight. It gapped up 10 points the next morning. Um, I mean, it was, you know, it was an amazing trade and, you know, there were things that, you know, it, it, and it's interesting looking at it because it's like, I, you know, it, in a perfect world, I could have, I could have done a lot better, but you know, and it was down 10. I didn't buy it until it was up five. That's a 15 point turnaround, but you know, the consistently high volume, the ability to sit on a winner is hard. Uh, that's just, that's training. And that's just something where it's like, you recognize like, wow, this thing's, this thing's moving. Uh, there's volume pouring in every pullback is being bought. You know, where is this going to end? And that was just one of those things where like, you know, there, there's these moments in time in trading where all of your training comes together. And that was one of those times. And obviously, you know, now I haven't had another million dollar day trade since then. I've had plenty of pretty decent trades. Uh, there's been some I've had that it could have been that, but I didn't do as big of a position. So you know, it's always like, well, why did I? Why did I think Tesla, um, you know, would have been a much bigger winner? Well, part of it was the short interest and things like that too. But um, so it's interesting. So I mean, I think there's just there's just there's always moments in time where. You know, as you do this, you just you're just like, wow, this this is one of those special times where you just hold on, and you've got to have the guts to do it. It's hard. It is hard to hold on to those things, but I, you know, I love the idea of having concentrated positions on something that's working. You know, and just watching that basket, and um, you know, it worked out really well. And you know, those are the things I still continue to look at. 
Yeah, yeah. And the part I find really fascinating about that is that you you had you kind of almost knew to push harder on that trade. Like you said, uh, when the trade started working out, you just kept adding to your position. Um, I don't I don't know. How did you know how to push harder on this particular trade? I mean, a big part of that is just recognizing what I would just call a special situation. You know, we've seen those days where, you know, a stock starts off down five and then suddenly it's down 30, you know, and a lot of it's volume. You know, that's, that's an easy thing. It's kind of like this is a special move. I mean, the volume is just exploding on this. Uh, so that helps. Um, but it's also just understanding. It's understanding. Just, I mean, that's the, the easiest way I can describe it is just a special situation. So. You know, when um, a stock, you know, breaks, it, especially especially when something that everybody thinks is, should happen isn't happening. And I remember that because Tesla had fallen, 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 fallen. Everybody thought it was overvalued. People were writing articles that it was dead. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, it's having this huge reversal. So all these people, and by the way, the biggest moves happen when a lot of people are wrong. So big moves don't happen when a lot of people are right. When a lot of people are wrong and they have to get out of that position, that's what causes big moves. So with Tesla, you had this reversal. You had a lot of people who were wrong who were forced to get out of that position. And so you kind of recognize that and you're just like, well, these people's pain is my, you know, it's for my benefit. And we've all been in positions where we keep holding on, holding on to the pain. And if you can get on the opposite side of that, you know, people are stubborn. They're going to keep holding on and holding on. And um, but that's how that's how the markets work. When there's a lot of people on the wrong side of a position and they all realize they need to get out, that's when big moves happen. And that's what happened with Tesla. And um, you know, you kind of look for those kind of opportunities. Okay. So I'd like to ask you: Was there anything about this particular trade? that changed the way you traded moving forward? Or is there anything about it that you, you've specifically tried to replicate? No, I wouldn't. You know, it's interesting. I guess maybe the, the main thing that probably kind of tweaked how I traded going forward was it's very rare these days that I'll have, say, like, you know, 18 different positions on. I actually prefer to wait. And it's like, all right, I want to see – I would rather have three or four larger positions on than 18 smaller ones. Now, conventional wisdom will say, well, if you've got 18 smaller positions, you're diversified. But I forgot who said this, and maybe it was even Warren Buffett who just said, you know, essentially diversification is for people who, you know, don't know what they're doing. If you're diversified, then your account's not going to change because you got some bullish positions, you got some bearish positions. If you see something that you like, then get in and focus on it. And so it really just kind of changed my out my outlook to one of focus. You know, instead of shotgunning and hoping for the best, it's like, you know what, let's be patient. Let's miss on things. But when this comes together, let's press it and, you know, let's focus. And it doesn't mean, you know, buying a thousand contracts every time. But, you know, we just did uh, we just closed out a Facebook trade where we had three three hundred contracts on it. It was a nice, you know, a hundred and or what was that? A, like an eighty thousand dollar trade. Great, you know, it's not a Tesla trade, but it's not having eighteen different positions. Some are up, some are down, and so your account value doesn't change. It's focus, and I I think that's the key. Okay, that's a great point. That's a really great point. All right, John. Well, let's do one last question here to take us out. I'd like to ask you: after twenty years, 
I'm keen to hear how have your goals and outlook on trading changed um, in the market, like as opposed to your earlier years? Yeah, in the early years, I felt a big pressure to make a big trade. Like, I've got to make a big trade. That's freedom. I can quit my job. And I think, you know, the main difference now is after doing this for a while, you start getting confidence in your skills. So it's not like, well, you know what? I didn't make money today. That's fine. The markets will be here tomorrow. And I, it's just this confidence of, you know, if, if at the end of the day, you know, I lost everything and could scrape together, you know, sell a house or something like that. It could scrape together $50,000. I'm like, you know, the idea that it's like, okay, I can make a couple thousand dollars a month trading as opposed to having to go wait tables or something like that. It's like, I've got that, that confidence where it's just like, okay, I can always do that. And that just comes from skill set, And that's just, it's, it, it's, it's, it's interesting with the markets because the, I, and I admire anybody who wants to try this to, to, uh, to do trading for a living because this is the only profession on the planet where you have to develop confidence in a situation where the result is always uncertain. Okay, There's no other profession in the world that's like that. And so if you can get to the point where you master that and you feel comfortable being uncomfortable, that's a good life lesson too. And that that's just something where that's just kind of the overall idea. And you know, so I look at trading as kind of a obviously it's a monetary thing, but it's also a philosophical philosophical approach, and just kind of attack it from that vantage point. Awesome, awesome. Okay, John, well, do you want to share with listeners where they can go to find out more about you? Sure. So we've got a, our hub website is uh, www.simplertrading.com. And if you go there, you'll see different sections. There's options, futures, stocks, and Forex. I primarily trade options and futures. Uh, we've also got other traders that we work together with. Probably our most popular thing is that if you go to Simpler Options and enter our gold room, the gold membership trial, in that room, we've got about 1,000 members. We trade options and futures, and it's a lot of fun. So we're committed to helping each other make money. Uh, you know, teaching and uh, it's great. I mean, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Awesome. And you're also on Twitter as well. Do you want to share your handle? Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, the at symbol, then John F. Carter. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not like a, you know, I'm not posting 20 things a day. It's more kind of every once in a while I'll do like a market observation. But, uh, you know, I like to post kind of market turning points and things like that as well. Okay, good stuff. Well, I'll be sure to include all those links at chatwithtraders.com um, in the show notes. So, John, once again, thank you very much for doing this. It's been a lot of fun speaking with you. Thank you very much. Absolutely, Aaron. Thanks for having me on the show. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders. But rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.